You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we continue our series on the characters of Christmas, Christmas characters. Today we're going to look at the character of Zacharias, the priest who lacked faith. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. I'm excited to share God's Word. I'll invite you to turn uh, to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1. We have just begun the Advent season and that candle we lit, we, we lit or Wayne and Tristan lit a little while ago, they did a good job explaining about what that candle represents, hope. This first Sunday we remember the hope that Jesus offers and as such I thought I'd begin with uh, a story about hope. He was born to a wealthy family and raised in Greenwich, Connecticut. This young man excelled at everything he did. He was the president of his senior class, secretary of the student council, president of the community fundraising group, a member of the editorial board of the school newspaper, captain of both the varsity baseball and soccer teams. It was clear this young man was going places, excelling at everything he did. Which is why he upset a lot of people when he graduated high school. Rather than deciding to go to a traditional university, he wanted to join the United States Navy. His high school principal told him that he was making a mistake and he would likely not amount to anything in life because of this uh, decision. But he did anyway, and on his 18th birthday, immediately after graduating, he enlisted in the United States Navy as a naval aviator. After a period of training, he was commissioned, becoming one of the youngest pilots in the Navy. Beginning in 1944, he served in the Pacific Theater where he flew a a Grunman TBF Avenger, a torpedo bomber, one that was capable of taking off from aircraft carriers. His squadron was assigned to the USS San Jacinto, and as a member of Air Group 51, his lanky physique earned him the nickname Skien. He flew his first combat mission in May 1944, bombing Japanese-held Wake Island. He was promoted to lieutenant on August 1st, 1944. But it wasn't long that he suffered an attack, and during an attack on uh, a Japanese installation in Chichijima, his aircraft successfully attacked several targets, but he was downed by enemy fire. He survived, but both of his crew members died. Somehow he was able to bail out from the aircraft, but here's the problem. He's in the Pacific Ocean, and he's totally alone. So I want you to put yourself in this young man's position. Here he is. He's 19 years old. He's floating in a raft in the Pacific Ocean. All of his crew members are dead. In one of his autobiographies, he writes that he's just bawling and crying and he thinks he's made a mistake. He's likely going to be captured. He's likely he could die of starvation. He could be eaten by sharks. It looked as if all hope was lost. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a submarine. And his first inclination is he was, Lord, I really hope this is an American submarine. And sure enough, it was. It was the USS Finback. Reflecting on this, what happened during that conflict, especially during the uh, Pacific arena, several of the aviators who were shut down, shot down during the attack, were captured, executed. Some of their livers were even cannibalized by their captors. 
It really had a profound impact on this young man and it led him to ask, why me, God? Why have I been spared? What have you got for me that you, you, you left me here for? He finished the Navy. He was later awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for his role in the mission. And this man did go on to later attend Yale University and became our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush. And his son became our 43rd and 44th president. I think about that story, and this story to me shows us that we should never, ever, ever lose hope. We should never lose faith. And most importantly to me, it reminds me that God has a plan, even when all, all looks hopeless. We've been going through Christmas characters starting last Sunday. We looked at Herod the Great and we've looked at angels. Today we're going to look at a man that, that I believe is much like George Bush we just talked about. A man who had done everything right. A man who was progressing in his career. A man who was a priest. But yet a man who was faced with a hopeless situation. His whole country's living in a hopeless situation awaiting the Messiah the man I'm talking about is Zacharias, the Christmas character of Zacharias, who I would call the priest who lacked faith. So let's read about him. We read about him in Luke chapter one, and I'm going to skip around a little bit because we'll talk about the other characters later. But we're going to talk about Zacharias this morning and we're going to talk about Elizabeth tonight. So I'm going to begin in verse five. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not receive my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
And they perceived that he had a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he went, or that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away the reproach among people. So we'll stop there. But several things we can learn about this Christmas character, Zacharias, and about his wife too. The first of which I see this, is that religious people, holy people, people who we would call good, are not immune from suffering. I want you to look at verse 6, what, how Luke describes John or, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth in verse 6. He says, they were both righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments, all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. All the commandments of the Lord, blameless. I ask you this morning, church, how many of you could say that? I know I would have a hard time saying that. We would look at this. We would look at Zacharias and Elizabeth, and surely, surely, we would look at them and we would say, of all the people, surely God would pour out their blessings upon them. Zacharias, he's a priest for goodness sake. His wife is faithful. He's going to the temple. He's doing what he's been told. Yet we see in this story that Elizabeth was bearing something that was considered a curse by the people of their time. This story shows us, it shows me at least, that being righteous or holy or religious does not make you or I immune from suffering. But also from this text, also from this text, we get a beautiful picture and better understand that there is a purpose behind the suffering. You see, in Galatians 4.4, Paul wrote that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as son. sons. You see, just as there was a time for Jesus to be born, that we might receive adoption as son, just as there was a time for that, there was also a time for Zacharias and Elizabeth to conceive. And it was not when they were young and newlyweds, it was when they were well advanced in years. God decreed it that way. All of Zacharias's and all of Elizabeth's suffering had a purpose and a plan behind it. A great plan. A plan so great that we're reading about it 2,000 years after it occurred. It's a reminder to me, and I wanted to be a reminder to you this morning, that as sure as Zacharias and Elizabeth suffered, even though they walked blameless, even though they kept the commandments, even though he was a priest, as sure as they suffered, you're going to suffer too. But as sure as God had a plan for Zacharias and Elizabeth, rest assured that God has a plan for you and your life as well. Doesn't that give you hope? Don't buy into the lie that your life's not important. Don't buy into the lie that God's somehow forgotten about you. Don't buy into the lie that your prayers aren't being heard or that they're not being answered. When you buy into these lies, it leads to a hopeless, hopeless feeling Church, I'll just tell you, those things are a lie from the pit of hell. Just like we sing that song, I encourage you to trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Because you see what happens. 
when we fall for these lies. When we think that God's done, when we think that He's wiped His hands, or when we think that we already know the answer, not only do we become hopeless, we become discouraged. And then sometimes we get to a point where we stop praying. I don't think that was Zacharias' problem, but I think that happens a lot in our time today. That's my second truth, is that godly people never, ever stop praying. This is what the angel said to Zacharias, what Gabriel said to him in verse 13. Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. I'm sure Zacharias' prayer for a child, I don't believe it started in his old age. I believe it probably started as soon as he was married. Yet the months go by and months turn to years, years turn to decades, and nothing happens. I believe that Zacharias keeps playing. I, I believe that he doesn't lose hope. Through it all, Zacharias keeps praying for a miracle. Christians, I, I just want to tell you, you do a great disservice to your life, to the church, to the body, when we just give up in our prayer life. One pastor said this, persistence to prayer is as wet as to water. These two things go hand in hand. We pray for God's will to be done. And we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying until God's will is revealed. Also in this passage, we see this truth in verse 13. The angel said, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Church, let me tell you, something that gives me hope is that God hears our prayers. Zacharias would father the last Old Testament prophet. The forerunner to Jesus, the one crying out in the wilderness, the one who would baptize Jesus. All of the suffering, all of the crying, all of the hopelessness, all is leading up to this moment. And church, I want to tell you, we don't know what God has planned for us. So until it is revealed, until we know, we do much like George Bush Sr. did. We pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God for, for guidance. We ask God for direction. We don't stop praying. Church, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for your church to grow. Don't stop praying for your prodigal to come home. Don't you stop praying for your lost friend. Don't you stop praying for your lost child. Don't you stop praying for your lost spouse. Don't stop praying for your lost parent. Keep on praying. And look, what a beautiful Hopeful passages is that we can pray in confidence, knowing for sure that God hears our prayers. And yes, indeed, he does answer them. Now, it may not be how we want. It may not be when we want. I'm sure at Zacharias at probably 30 years old, he probably was ready for God to come through on answering his prayer. But the fullness of time had not come yet. God answers our prayers, not how we want them, but how he needs to answer them to fulfill his plan, not mine. Unfortunately, many times we fall into the trap of praying and praying just becomes habitual. So habitual, we don't expect an answer, which is what I suspect happened to Zacharias. Just like anything else, anything can become a habit. Ministry can become habitual. You know what? Even reading your Bible can become habitual and so can prayer. 
I believe Zechariah has just gotten to the, the point where he's going to the temple. He offers his daily prayers. Maybe they pray at home. And then whenever God answers his prayers, he's actually shocked. Just like, whoa, wait a minute. You're actually hearing me? Look, look at verse 18. Zechariah's response to the angel. How? How? How, how shall I know this? Don't you know I'm an old man and my wife is too? Well, I'm old and my wife's old. How can this be? Third truth, godly people should not be surprised when God does a miraculous work. Put yourself in this position. It's just the most amazing thing to me. First off, Zacharias is a priest, so he knows he knows the, the, the Old Testament better than me, I'm sure. He's literally in the temple, altar of incense. He's literally speaking to an angel as somehow he's surprised and he's perplexed that the same God that created the sun, moon, and stars, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the same God that shut the lion's mouth for Daniel, the same God that gave Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age, Somehow Zechariah is shocked that he would come through like this for him and Elizabeth. Church, God doesn't want priests, pastors, and members of his body to be a faithless people. We should never, ever, ever be surprised when God steps in and does a miraculous work. I've fallen into this trap. I, a few years ago in, in Winsboro, there was a young lady. She was shot point blank between the eyes with a 22 caliber handgun. Somehow she survived it. Church leaders, we all called together. We prayed at the altar in my church. We prayed in Winsboro. But if I'm being honest, my prayer was not one of a full recovery. I never, ever would have dreamed in a million years. In a million years, she'd be able to walk or talk again. I thought at best she might be able to live and communicate with a hand squeeze. I mean, she was shot between the eyes. But you know, God worked a miracle that year. And not only did she make a full recovery, she ended up getting married and ended up having a child. And now she's serving her church faithfully. God still does miracles. God still offers hope to the hopeless. Have a little faith. This Christmas season, he is still the same God. He is still in the miracle working business. Stand on this truth. And don't be surprised when God comes through in a big, miraculous way. Fourth thing I see from this that we need to be reminded of is that God disciplines those he loves. I believe he chose Zacharias and he chose Elizabeth. They were goodly people, good people. They were godly people. They were holy people. They were people that God had a purpose for. Yet God was not very pleased with the priest who lacked faith. That's what happened in verse 22. When he came out, he could not speak. The Lord took his voice away. God had to deal with Zechariah's lack of faith. We don't need faithless or doubting priests. So in love... God took his voice away. He made him mute. This shows me, it reinforces to me that God disciplines those he loves. He taught Zacharias a lesson here. And the next words we read from Zacharias, the next words that he speaks, he utters a praise song, praising God. 
for bringing hope to the hopeless. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Zacharias needed correcting. And church, I'll tell you, sometimes, sometimes even the most holy of us, we need a little correcting. Don't be surprised when that happens. Resolve to be a man or a woman of faith. Don't be like a child that needs that correction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. At the heart of it, that was Zacharias' problem. He was leaning until his own understanding, forgetting who he was dealing with. Let's see how the story ends, at least with Zacharias. We'll pick it up uh, in verse 60. If you go down. Months go by, and remember Zacharias, he's not able to speak. Months and months and months. Elizabeth, we'll talk about her tonight. She ends up conversing with Mary, and I don't know, maybe maybe, uh, Zacharias was able to write to her. I don't really know that. But I know that Zacharias was mute until the baby was born. This is what it says in verse 59. So it was on the eighth day, that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father that he would have called him. What he would have called him. And he asked for a writing tablet, wrote saying, His name is John. So they marveled. And immediately, immediately after Zacharias' obedience... His mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all those who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. It's the fifth truth. Godly people praise God for bringing hope to the hopeless. And look at... To, to me, this reads like a song, but it's a, it's a prophecy. Look what Zechariah says, and I put some of it in your bulletin this morning. Verse 67, Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highs. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of His manifestation to Israel. Godly people praise God for bringing hope to the hopeless. 
Zacharias has seen all that God had done, and here he expressed thanksgiving. He expressed, he expressed rejoicing. He effectively sung a praise song because he had seen a miracle, seen God do a miracle in him and through him and in his wife. So with all that was within him, with all that he had, he praised God. He thanked God. He rejoiced in God. And I just want to close this morning by asking you the question, do you have reason to praise God today? I mean, really, do you have a reason to praise God today? Do you know what He's talking about? Do you know the merciful God He's talking about? Do you know about God dealing with this problem of sin? Do you know why Jesus came? If you're a Christian, you do. If you're a Christian, you can relate with every story I've mentioned here today. If you're a Christian, this is the if, this is the test this morning. If you're a Christian, you should be able to look back at your life and identify at least some point in your life where you were much like George Bush out in the Pacific Ocean when all hope was lost. When you were surrounded by a sea of your sin, knowing full well if something didn't happen, you were going to suffer the consequences because of it. There's no swimming yourself out of it. There's no calling for help from somebody on shore. It's just a matter of faith from asking the only person who can do something about it. You know what that was like. And if you're a Christian, you know what it's like to call out upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know exactly what it was like to go from hopelessness to hopefulness. But maybe this morning, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening to the podcast. And maybe you've got some good things going on in your life, but maybe, just maybe, at the end of the day, you find yourself a legalist at your heart. You're finding yourself trying to be like Zechariah and trying to be like Elizabeth, trying to, to follow all the words in this Bible. And you would say you're doing a pretty good job, but if you're being honest, man, you messed up this week. You talked down to somebody this week. You didn't love somebody. You exploded at your spouse, at your boss. You exploded at your parents. And no matter how hard you try, you don't understand it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot keep the words in this book. Church, let me just tell you, that's why Jesus came. To redeem us. The law is our tutor to show us that we can never, ever do it on our own. The law is our our example of just how hopeless we are. Not even I can keep all of the Ten Commandments. I break them day by day, but thank God for Jesus because without Him, I would be hopeless. So I ask you this morning, I ask you, are you hopeful or are you hopeless? Are you praying for your will to be done? Are you praying for God's will to be done? Brother Ray is going to come and lead us. And the hymn is so perfect. It's have thine own way, Lord. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you'll remember that religious people are not immune from suffering. 
that godly people should never stop praying. That godly people shouldn't be surprised when God does a miraculous work, even today. That God still disciplines those he loves. And I hope you'll remember that godly people praise God for bringing hope to the hopeless. I hope you'll come visit us for worship here at Dry Prong. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship, 8.50 for Sunday school. Have a great, great week.